This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3697 for Tuesday, the 4th of October, 2022. Today's show is entitled, Misinformation, Disinformation, and Fake News. You are a product and target for all of it. It is part of the series Privacy and Security. It is hosted by Lurking Pryan and is about 72 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is... Brady and I discuss misinformation, disinformation, and fake news. You know, um, I I introduced my son to the onion. It in in what way? Like, did you let him know it was fake? Yeah, yeah. Um, he he'd never heard of the onion dot com before, and um, so I I showed him, and I was telling him about how some of those stories had actually been picked up in the past by news outlets and actually passed off as real stories. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. And, of course, they made their ways through Facebook channels as legitimate stories as well. And it's like, I was like, how do you do that? I mean, this is coming from a site that obviously says it's satire. But then again, you know, I started thinking about that and I was like, okay, let me, let me do a time drift 15 years back, 15 years back. I'm ready to go on this journey with you. So take, take me with you. Okay. 15 years ago, everybody had magazines, you had newspapers. So when you went and you bought a newspaper, you knew that you were getting news. And when you went and bought something like the weekly world news, you knew that you were not getting news. You knew that you were getting stories about Bat Boy and Hillary's alien lover. You know? Yes. Good memories in in those black and white pages. Yep. Yes. And Chupacabra. But that's why we bought that. But there was never anyone who sat there and said, oh, my gosh, from the Weekly World News. No, it didn't happen. Because you were forced to actually understand what it was you were looking at. Same thing with Mad Magazine. Nobody ever took anything in Mad Magazine and said, oh my gosh, this is real. We understood it for what it was. But I think moving into the digital age, we we have taken a problem that has existed since the inception of our country and turned it into a pandemic. And what I'm talking about is people and news and the fact that news has never really been news. It's, it's been propaganda. It's been misinformation. It's been disinformation and it's all geared toward evoking some kind of an emotional response. And it's all about the headline. I mean, and the picture you, sometimes, sometimes the yeah, picture. And the pictures. But I mean, how many people do you know that will go and tell you about something, and all they read was the headline and maybe the first two sentences in the article? Yeah, that's it. That's all they read. But the thing is, is that's all people want to read. That's all they've got the attention span for. And I, I argue, I don't think this is a new thing. I think this has always been there. I think the internet just made it much easier to share it on a global level. I think that's all changed. I mean, for years, people have just been paying attention to headlines 
And they walk by, they see the headline in the newspaper, like, oh, no, the stock market has crashed. And they run off with it and go jump off a bridge. Um, but they never actually, you know, how many people actually took the time to buy the paper, open it up and read it and see what was actually going on? It's it's I think it's just human nature. People are lazy and we want information as quickly as possible. And a headline is the town crier in print. Wait. Good point. That's good visual. And that's that's all we did. We took the town crier, we put it in print, and now we took the town crier and gave it digital legs. So boom, floating across the universe. And it's much easier to take that little snippet that's just a headline and two sentences and say, oh my gosh, they found a Nazi civilization in the Rhine now that it's freaking dried up and start sharing it. And who actually validates facts anymore? Facts. Exactly. What are facts, right? right. I mean, we don't actually stop and say, okay, what is the source that this came from? I think if people were to stop and say, okay, this article came from theonion.com, then they could probably sit there and say, okay, I feel kind of stupid. But either A, they don't do it, or B, they do do it and don't want to feel stupid and just keep on with it. And I don't think there's any in between. I, I think it's just human nature. And I think that certain elements in the world have figured out how to monopolize on this. And we are now living in a world where if you were to go back 100 years and think about all the power that the print industry had, all the newspapers, how much power they had, they would be envious of the kind of power that you can exert today with just a Facebook campaign or a Twitter campaign. This is very true. Yeah. And the thing is, is the campaign doesn't even have to be successful to be successful. Let's just say, let's just say, for example, um, uh, let's just pick something. We'll say that, you know, um, we want to tell people that oranges are bad for them. So here we start spreading this rumor that oranges cause cancer. And now we've got all of this news that's hitting, you know, oranges cause cancer. Well, then you have other news outlets that are sitting there saying, no, oranges don't cause cancer. Well, then you can just yell fake news. And what, but now, I mean, we live in an era where everybody has gotten numb to this and they're just like, well, you really can't trust anything anymore. So, I mean, there's a little bit of truth in everything. No, there's no fucking truth in oranges cause cancer. None. But people are willing to give them the little bit of generosity that says there might be some truth there. In which case, they have one because they have people who believe that oranges cause cancer 
And they have won because they have taken a large segment of society and turned them apathetic to any kind of action against this. It's a win-win. If you are wanting to go out and start a campaign, especially if you are wanting to do something with any kind of malicious intent, you can't lose. This is literally a full win scenario. So, let me, naturally, let me, let me just, let's, let's take a, a second and we'll, we'll press on this idea a little bit. Go ahead. Let's, so let's, unravel let's, let's talk about let's talk about theoretical orange manipulation. Um, okay. First, the, I think the default reaction to what you're saying would be, why would anybody want to manipulate that? So let's break that one down first. Is okay. can you think of a reason why turning people against oranges, even if it's only a short-lived thing, and then people forget and they go back to buying their oranges again, why would that be profitable? Because I have a shitload of lemons, and I sell lemonade. Okay. So so people buying – you've determined that people buying um, oranges are eating into, you know, for maybe orange juice. It's eating into your lemonade sales. Absolutely. And but what if, what if people we, then think that, you know, lemons are citrus too? What if they, they also cause cancer? Oh, no. The science is definitely oranges. It's it's the orange coloring that makes them bad. So I mean, boom, you know, lemonade is good, orange bad, and boom, off we go. What about somebody who is maybe manipulating options futures or futures options or whatever, right? The the futures contracts, commodities. Absolutely. Um, that could be a monetary reason for making people afraid of oranges, right? Well, and you can go two ways with this. You could either a want to screw someone who's bought a whole bunch of commodities in oranges, or you want to buy a whole bunch of commodities at a really low price. Hmm. Let's, let's expand on that idea. What if by, dis- by hurting even for a short term, maybe one, even just one season of orange sales, um, you wanted to put a dent in there, that's going to put small scale farmers or farmers that are on the brink that are, you know, citrus farmers, that's going to possibly put a huge hit on their, uh, their operations. You might be able to scoop in there and buy some of these um, citrus orchards for really cheap. Well, I mean, haven't industrial farms been doing that for the last hundred years? It sounds like a good mechanism to, to push any, any struggling small farms. Especially those who don't want to sell to you. Somebody's sitting there, they've got land that you want that you could either utilize for the same purpose or something better. And you can't can't get them to sell. You know they're struggling. Boom, let's hit that future market, destroy them. And, oh, hey, I gave you a really good offer last year, but, you know, now this ain't worth shit and you're broke. So um, how about this little tiny offer? If not, we'll just wait for you to go into bankruptcy and I'll get it for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. So I think I think even just exposing this next layer, because I think we're all none of us want to admit that we're manipulated, manipulated regularly or easily manipulated in the first place. Um, But unfortunately, I think we're all a little bit more susceptible than we actually were. You know, we want to give ourselves a little bit more credit 
than maybe human nature allows. There is a healthy, healthy level of cynicism that we should all be carrying around, but I think that's the point of this episode. Well, so, and, and that's, that's what I want to talk about is because the problem is, is the people who are using this against us have studied the shit out of us. They have taken psychology and turned it into the biggest weapon that has ever been seen. The atom bomb has nothing on this. When you can manipulate entire populations, that's much better than taking out a city. Yeah. I can take over a whole country. That is a much bigger weapon. And psychology is what has allowed them to do it. Well, you can't fight it unless you, A, understand that it's there, and B, have some tools at your disposal that you can use to combat being influenced by this. So right, let's talk about that. Let's, let's, let's go down this rabbit hole. Okay. Let's start first. Um, most people get their news from a feed. Fill in the blank feed. It doesn't matter what it is. There's a feed that you're getting news from. That feed is generated by an algorithm. Is that algorithm built to give you good quality news, or is it designed to keep you engaged with whatever specific platform you're on? I'll take B. D. Absolutely. It is 100% geared toward that. And they know that by throwing stuff at you that A, evokes an emotional response, will get you engaged, and B, keeping you within a narrow set of ideas that you feel comfortable with. So let's just why let's let's, let's break that one down. Why? Okay. Why would that be a good idea, right? Okay. Um, why no. would we want to why would we want to shoebox people into things that they're already predisposed? Uh, why would we not want to expand their thoughts and ideas and, and challenge their deeply held beliefs? Why? First of all, um, let's say right wing um, and left wing. I, I don't care what country you're in or what, what that actually means. Irrelevant. Right wing, left wing. People who are invested in right wing ideology only want to see and share things that are positive about right wing ideology. And the only thing they want to see about left wing is something that is crushing it. They want to see bad stuff about left, good stuff about right. If you give them something bad about right-wing ideology, you're going to lose those people. They will stop engaging. I'll put a counterpoint on that one. Let's say, let's say no. Let's say um, there are the rare individuals who see that content, and instead of vehemently just getting angry and disagreeing, they start challenging their beliefs and try to see the humanity. Those people do still exist. Um, I don't they think do, they're all. They're a fraction they're of a percent. Yeah, they're rare, but these are the true thinkers. Um, because I think the more you realize, you know, people are people and not labels. That may that maybe that's a Gen X thing. Um, but uh, there's power in that, right? But the, there, you there decrease your value as as an advertising target. Um, you want people to be, in my opinion. You want people to be in as small, narrow of a box as possible because they're very easy to target. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
if if people start expanding their their mindset, they start challenging things, they're not going to buy your products. They're not, you know, they're they're not just going to accept your claim that this is the best soap and you need to use it or yeah. you know well, you know, Whatever. hey, this group of people, guns and trucks. If you want to sell guns and trucks, I've got a group right here that'll do it. If you're selling shampoo, I've got a group right here that'll do it. You've got a hair loss product, I've got a hair, I've got a group right here. If you've got somebody who's wanting a weight loss product, I've got a group right here. It really doesn't matter what you're selling. Yeah. The algorithms have chopped us into tiny little boxes. And we may even fit within several of those little boxes, depending upon what advertiser is putting money into that feed. Exactly. And and the more you can segment your audiences, you might be a part of a thousand different audiences. But that the only thing that that guarantees is that when you receive an ad, you know, you'll get the dummy ones every now and then, but even those are feelers to see if you're interested or not. Um, yep. And the ones you hit will further define you as a consumer. And and so, yeah, I I, I have to agree with you here that the misinformation, the um, everything is designed for a purpose, either to get you to act now or not act at all, not act at all, or put you in a, a box where they can prepare you for action in the future. Yes. And they, let's just define they, um, anybody who wants to make money off of you or exert con- mental control uh, through your actions, because you are like, if, if you aren't going out there and seeking and challenging yourself um, and challenging the information you're presented with, then, I mean, you're just a predictable human. Uh, and that's what we've become with you're, algorithms. You're a predictable product. Yeah. And that's what people like. They like predictable products, and they know exactly what kind of things are going to engage you the most. And they are going to feed you those things that keep you engaged, that keep you active, because the more active you are, the more engaged you are, the higher value you are to the people that they are selling you to. So it's very true. So, okay, what's next? We if there are going to be some holdout listeners that are are going to tell us, you know, or they're they're telling us through their phone or however they're listening that that we're dumb and we're making a, a mountain out of a molehill, and that's fine. Um, but for anybody who is concerned about this, who um, you know is maybe thinking about this in a different light, you know, what what's next? Okay, so the first thing you got to do is drop the feed. Um, the feed is what's keeping you boxed in. So back to that left-right analogy, stop going to the feed that you get your news from and start looking for outlets that are providing um, news about the things from both perspectives. Get it from the, from the left, get it from the right, and pick it up from the center. And then you could even broaden your horizons a little bit more by maybe going to news sources that are outside your country that don't have a vested interest in your politics at all. And the more you expose yourself to different news sources, the easier it's going to be to be able to identify misinformation and disinformation when it's present. The other thing that you need to do is learn to start identifying where the source for the news comes from. Um, where, where did this news actually come from? Where was it sourced from? 
you'd be surprised how many times news is reported when it's nothing more than a press statement handed out by a company. So you get a company, they release a press statement, and then it's published as a news article in multiple outlets. And people never stop to question whether or not that was a press feed or if it was actual reporting. Um, was this just a press release from the White House or the Kremlin or fill in the blank? A lot of those have just ended up in the news as just straight news instead of, hey, look, here's something handed to you straight from uh, our own <laughs> propagandist. Um, <laughs> so identifying where those sources, where that source material is coming from. Um, there's also things that you can do. You can look at um, things like Snopes.com. Uh, they're a little bit slow for the digital things. There's other sites out there that specialize in debunking um, fake news that's going around or things that are being propagated as truth, but they're actually lies. Um, so finding out you know, which sources of those apply to the type of media that you consume. Um, I'll look for a few and put them in the show notes. But there's a number of different outlets out there that that's what they do. They track what's going on. They track what's trending. And they're like, hey, this picture's going around. It's completely out of context. This picture was actually taken in 2016 during this event, and it's being peddled as this from this event. Um, and being able to identify those kinds of outlets that are actually looking into the facts and trying to figure out you know, what's actually true and what's not will go a long way um, before in helping you identify what's real and what's not. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've pissed off my family on Facebook because they'll peddle something on Facebook and I'll just go to Snopes and do a quick look up and, oh, look, there it is. Nope, that's not what that is. Here's what this really is. And then they're like, oh. And the thing is, is now here's, here's the other side of this. Once you start doing that, you are putting yourself into a very small box. And I say that because you alone will be doing that. Your family, your friends are still consuming their feed. And nobody likes it when somebody's always coming up to them, telling them that they're wrong. They will just stop talking to you after a while. Is this, is this the Morpheus moment? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, do, we, do we have the, the two pills and you've got to choose one, either stay in the Matrix or get out and see the real world? Uh, this, this is the Matrix moment, yes. Because that's, that's basically the crux of it, right? Um, because there, there is a certain bliss in ignorance. Uh, there is a as, lot of bliss humans, in ignorance. Right. In humans, we, we, this is why this works, um, is because we are emotional beings. So we like to feel emotion. Even, even feeling bad sometimes, we will keep, continue feeling bad for reasons that only make sense inside of our brains. Um, oh, feeling bad, feeling anger. Anger is one of the best things we'll keep, that will keep people engaged on a platform. Right, exactly. And so I, I would say I would add to your strategy 
um, is, and this will probably help people just in life in general. And I'm not by no means am I saying that I am an expert in this. I'm probably the furthest from an expert in this, but it's always good to take a self inventory when you have any kind of, um, peak emotions. And if you're, you're having peak emotions when you're looking at Facebook or Twitter or your news feed, um, it's always good to, to take a stop and to do that self inventory. Um, really just, and this can be quick, but take a reflect on, on what you're feeling and try to describe it in words. You don't have to say them out loud. Just think it like I am feeling blank. And then, um, going back to our orange example, right? Uh, what could be the reason that somebody would want me to fill whatever blank was? And then after that, how could this be profitable? Because really we're all products. Um, and that's, that's what, you know, we have to boil that down when you're today's news is very seldomly there to inform us. Um, it might inform us as a consequence. As but, a consequence, but not the, that's not the intent. Right. Um, and, and sometimes, it, like, it is a trade-off. Like, you want to know what's going on in the world. If you can digest this information instead of just consuming it. Like, I always think of my dogs. My dogs are the dumbest creatures on the face of the planet. I, I'm, I like cats more, but it's been years since we've had a cat. Um, and, and it's probably going to remain that way because the dogs think that the cat kitty litter box is like a box of almond roca. Sorry for the mental oh. image, folks, but that's um, it, it ain't happening. Oh, it's uh, true. It's not, worth, it's, it's not worth the hassle in this household. But I digress. My dogs are so stupid. Um, I will, you know, cut the, the fat off of my steak. And as an occasional treat, I will give it to them. And they don't they don't savor it. Anybody who's ever watched a dog eat. Like it just goes right down. I don't know why they wanted it in the first place, unless they've got special taste buds in their stomach. Um, honestly, me leaving it not in their throat is probably better enjoyment-wise because they get a smell it at least. Uh, yeah. But that's what we have become, as far as news, is we just consume. You know, we might think, "Ha, you idiot dog! Why not savor that? Why not enjoy it? Why not break it down and really..." have the experience but that's exactly what we're doing when we consume news is it's so fine-tuned you know the algorithms know what to give us so you know you can sit there and refresh your feed and refresh your feed and and sometimes if you're in a different mood you're like why are none of these like these are all just junk articles your mood changed the way you're thinking changed the algorithm was giving you stuff that that it thought you wanted as a normal basis so you can just you can keep refreshing and keep refreshing and wait for stuff to pop up, um, and every now and then it might say, "Hey, this person's refreshing a lot. We need to give them something else. We can learn more about them." But right. basically, you're just sitting there waiting. You're sitting there like that salivating dog, ready just to consume, to bite and not chew and just swallow. Um, and I do it myself, so I'm not trying to lambast anybody out there. This is human nature. That's why it's so dang effective. Um, so just ask yourself, like, why am I feeling this way? And and is there if you can understand why you're what you're feeling, why you might be feeling that way, why somebody might want you to feel that way and how it might be profitable. If you can answer those questions, 
then you'll be able to digest that piece of news a little better. And you you can take the truth and you can figure out why someone might be trying to manipulate you with that grain of truth. Um, yes. Well, will least, that make you happy? No. no. Even if you can't figure out why they would be doing it, if you can see that there would be an upside to it, then, I mean, you may not know what the upside is yet. Right. If, if you can see that there is potentially something there that you can't put your finger on, you're probably on the right path. And this kind of goes back to the episode I did with my son where I was talking to him about social engineering. And the fact that adversaries have text to communicate with us. They send words in text via SMS, MMS, um, email, and using those words, they are able to evoke emotions that get you to make an emotional response to something instead of a logical response. And it's much the same thing. Um, whenever you have anything that's put in front of you that is evoking an emotion like that, you need to stop and think and ask yourself, wait a minute, why is this email? Why is this news article? Why is this text? Why, why am I panicking? Why am I fill in the blank? Um, it's designed to do that. And you have to then stop and think critically about this and say, okay, well, A, you know, if you're at work, is this a normal thing? Um, is it abnormal? Does it follow? Am I, am I going to be breaking policy and procedure in order to do what this thing is requiring of me? Or is this in line with what we do, but my boss is just on a deadline? Or sometimes, I know it sounds crazy, you could even call the person who ostensibly emailed you and say, hey, did you send this email? Because I'm kind of confused. Or you could text yeah. your mom and say, or call your bank and say, hey, bank, did you send me this? And I think we'll find a lot of times that no, no, that's not the case. But the thing is, is the same thing is happening to us in our news consumption, but we don't have the ability to reach out and call the other person to find out whether or not they actually sent it. We have to go about other looking at, at it through other ways in order to identify whether or not what we're seeing and what is playing on our emotions is the whole truth. And news, the best manipulation has truth in it. Yes. And Absolutely. The thing, is, the thing is, is separating that truth from fiction. Where does the truth end and where does the fiction begin? And trying to get that kernel of truth out to identify. And the thing is, there is truth. Anybody who's sitting out there that tells me there is no such thing as truth is full of shit. And you might as well just stop listening because you're already gone. It's like the lights are on, but no one's home. No, there is absolute truth. There is absolute truth. There is absolute not truth. Uh, I, I have to disagree with you there, Robert. I, I believe in subjective gravity. Well... Subjective gravity. I'm kidding. There, gravity exists here. It does exist um, within our time continuum on our particular ball of rock floating through the galaxy. Now, if we were on a different ball of rock at a different point in the galaxy, would time be different? Absolutely. Yep. 
but, yeah, it, but, and that's, I mean, it's a, it's an important, it's an important thing. Um, because I think re- even if people claim that there is no truth, um, but that's deep where down, you, deep you, down, you, that, that's a truth, right? If, if, if you're saying that my truth is that there is no truth, you're, a, you're ascribing to a belief. And um, you've already, you've already become the victim that they're okay with. Right. You could be the one who has fallen for it, or you could be the one who just says, oh, there is no such thing as truth, in which case you're not going to do anything about it. You're still part of that win bucket for whatever campaign is going on. Right. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a company. It doesn't matter whether it's a political party, a political establishment. uh, It doesn't matter. Whoever is manipulating you, if you take the viewpoint that there is no truth, that is the truth that you ascribe to. And in doing so, you have removed yourself from any possibility of doing any good for mankind. It's a layer of um, cognitive distance that you can try to say, if that's your belief, belief is not true. Belief can coincide with truth. Um, yes. And belief can conflict with truth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when that's when things get the hardest is when your belief and truth do not meet when they don't coincide, when they conflict. That's when you have those strong emotions. And that's when you choose. And it's a choice. People choose to stay with their belief rather than with the truth. And we've seen it time and again throughout history. It's, yes. not, it's not a new thing. People, when, when truth and belief conflict, whenever they meet and they butt heads, belief usually wins. And I think that's a kind of a protection mechanism. Um, it's, a, it's built in inside of all of us, is that we, we will lie to ourselves. Um, oh, Absolutely. And and just I mean, maybe most of us do it on a very small scale, but you know, take that um, that lonely single mom mm-hmm. who finally meets somebody uh, who she feels like understands her, um, and that person isn't good with their kids. And and I'm not picking on single moms here. I'm just this is a very common example um, where. That mom might very, very, very deeply love her children, um, but she also has a need uh, to feel accepted and wanted and desired and supported uh, on a level that her children never could and never should be elevated uh, to try to fill. Yes. And, and, you know, in most cases, these are small little things, um, but you'll see a mother who deeply loves her children lie to herself about a partner um, and then maybe even later come come out like come to the point where they realize oh this person was horrible not only to me and but also to my children you know and and they'll hopefully get them out of their lives and find somebody who is better suited but it, it comes from it comes from an emotional need position men do it too uh, men do it a lot uh, especially professionally we we will allow a company to abuse us um, and abuse us and abuse us and abuse us. And we'll, in a lot of cases, we will be afraid to leave 
because that relationship and all of those promises that we've been given about potential promotion or whatever, even just keeping our job in some points, um, we will lie to ourselves and tell us that it's okay. But in, in reality, we might be in a very abusive relationship with that employer, you know, and, and it will come to a breaking point where we'll have to make that decision. Are, are we going to accept the evidence or continue lying to ourselves that this, whatever situation, this bad situation is okay? Humans are very, very, very capable of believing their own lies, um, as a protection mechanism because, you know, that we'll just, I don't want to pick on the single moms. They already have it pretty rough. We'll just take that guy. Um, this is, you know, I've been that guy before. You go to work, you give, 150 percent um you never get the promotions uh in some cases you don't get the bonuses you spend more and more and more of your time um, when you're not at work actually working and, and giving away work for free um, and then it becomes expected and then in reality in the background you've become too good at your job to promote if they promoted you um then two or three people to fill your spot. Yeah. Who's going to do all that work. But, but in, in, in my shoes, in that situation, you keep thinking, you, you keep trying to tell yourself, Hey, I believe that I am so important here. I have worked so hard. Everybody will see what I'm giving them. They will see my they, value. They will they appreciate will, me. Yeah. They will reward me. But you, what you, the truth is that in most situations, unfortunately, you would have to leave that position and go somewhere else for somebody else to appreciate you at the level at which they hire you. And, and yeah. that is a truth that can also be a belief, but it's a statistical truth that most companies, it, it does not pay for them. Like they'll just, you'll leave. You think, oh, they won't, like the whole place will fall apart without me. In most cases, it it doesn't. They just get somebody else in there. And then in a lot of cases, all those things that you thought you were doing that, you know, were so important, they weren't really important in the first place because nobody (laughs) notices when you're gone. Um, And and it's just all of this. This is a really deep example. I'm sorry, listeners and, and Robert. But this is just an example of how we will lie to ourselves and and we will believe these things, but now apply it to that news feed. As soon as we stop seeing whoever's on the other side or whoever we're angry at, as soon as we stop seeing them as humans and, and realizing that humans by nature are fallible, right? Um, and we can just find their faults and we turn them into whatever this is. We've really just given control over our mentality and ourselves and our, our beliefs. We've given that to, to an algorithm. We have stopped thinking for ourselves and we've allowed this piece of code to fuel how we see the world. Or or this person, this party, this group. Um, Yeah, it's and, you know, that belief, that belief versus truth conflict, that's brutal. And I'm going to tell you, every single person on this planet has seen an example of this within the last 10 years. Absolutely. I don't care where you live on this lonely little planet. You have seen an example of this. And I'm, this isn't a political show. We're not going to jump into that. But I'm just going to say that we've all seen an example of 
truth versus belief and the two explode and it doesn't it doesn't make sense to the people that accept the truth how the people on the other side can still be accepting whatever it is that that you're thinking of as your personal example but the truth yeah. is they believe and, and see, I think that's a big it's something that we should probably talk about if, because politics are naturally going to come up um, and and we might you and I might sit in different places and that's OK because we can still be friends. You know, it depends on the topic. Um, and, and you're right. This isn't going to be a political show because th that's everywhere. Um, but I think back and I, I think about politics and I think back to even 10 years ago. Politics wasn't in in our face as much as it is today, and I no. think that's it's because you know when you think about politics, I, I think a lot of people get upset even at the mere mention of politics, which is interesting, especially if we have established that emotions are the key to making us make decisions that are not logical. There's a different pro part of our brain that processes logic and one that processes emotion, and and the decisions that we make when we're being logical are different from the decisions that we make when, you know, when we're emotional. And I think that in a lot of ways, that is a product, like even just how much we talk about politics, because it used to be impolite to talk about politics and religion um, unless it was close company. Now it's you just open up your smartphone and within five minutes, I think you're probably going to be confronted with one or the other. And none of that stuff, you know, none of that stuff really was it's so much in your face because because there was more of a pretense of, you know, hey, I don't want to disagree with you, so I will set these beliefs aside. Well, now it's it's almost a social imperative that you put your politics way out in front of who you are. So then you become your politics, and it just makes people so upset. Well, then that just means that everybody in your sphere of influence is going to be making emotional decisions. But that brings us to the intersection of morals versus ethics. Um, it, morals are what guide your, your way that you live your life in whatever that happens to be. Um, let's just take the recent Roe versus Wade. You may you know, morally believe that overturning it is the right thing to do. And for you personally, yes, that is a moral choice. However, is it ethical to deny somebody else that same access when they have completely different beliefs than you? They don't follow your morality. So now we've gotten to the intersection of where we are imposing morality on other people. And we have taken that morality and done away with what's ethical. It's moral for you to say, I don't want to do this personally. It's not ethical to impose those beliefs on someone else. And it's, it's okay now to do that. It's okay to take your morality and do away with ethics. It's also okay to take your belief and do away with truth. And the two are very much on the same plane. That one, that was a very, very hot topic there. And, and I think that 
it's it's easy to jump to a conclusion on on either side. It is the sad truth about it, though, is that the people that are most affected um, don't have a say. You know, they it, it's it's really it's really tough because they're whether whatever camp you're in, right? Uh, if your uh, fetus is a human, then the baby doesn't get a say. If you are, um, you know, the, on the side of the, the mother um, who sees her life just crashing in around her or, you know, any of the situations, life-threatening, um, you know, that are more rare, but would definitely affect that individual. I think we would all benefit from taking a huge step backwards and viewing all parties concerned as beings that should have an equal say in this. That yeah, that that there are people and people we can all feel very, very strongly, but at the end of the day, people are involved. And if you view people as people, as humans, as having just as, as much value as you do, I think we could all probably have a lot more compassion, um, no matter where you fit on the spectrum. Uh, it's a very volatile topic, and, and, I, and that'll probably make some folks upset. And no matter what you're upset about, either because somebody shouldn't have a say or because you know somebody should have a voice that um, you feel doesn't, that emotion is okay. Why are you mad? Um, you know, is there a reason why, like, that could be used one way or another? You know, like, just go through, go through, ask, ask yourself why you feel that way. And then I think we could all stand with having some compassion. Um, because it, like, like you said, Robert, um, in those situations, it's not us. So it's easy for us to sit back and say, you know, what's right and what's wrong. Um, but that's a luxury that we have as armchair, you know, spectators. We are are armchair spectators on everyone else's life but our own. And that's where your morals come in, is in your own particular quarterback chair. That's it. Your morals don't matter outside of that. Your morals guide your life. You can't impose your morals on somebody else. Do we want to go and find other people that share those morals? Yes. That's human nature. We want to find people who are part of our own tribe. But you can't sit there and take your morals and impose them on someone who does not have the same value set. We've seen this over and over again throughout the world, and it never ends well. Unfortunately, I think that's human nature is that we we do want to control the world. Unfortunately, you know, if we just go back to that Michael Jackson song, if you want to change the world, you know, start with the, the person looking back at you in the mirror. And we're often a lot harder on other people than we are on ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people would be a lot better to other people if they did give themselves that critical once over. And, you know, I mean, it's, and like I said, I mean, we've kind of gotten off topic, but it, it doesn't hurt to take that critical once over. And, you know, tonight when you put down your phone and you're thinking about your, whatever it was that you were talking about during the day, just kind of do a self check, do an inventory and say, okay, 
well, here's the things that, that I've been concerned about. Here's the things that I've been worried about. And then kind of ask yourself, okay, well, what of this is belief? What of it is truth? What of it is morals? What of it is ethics? And what of it could possibly be used to manipulate me one way or the other? And then why would someone want to manipulate me? And once you start answering those questions for yourself, and again, that's going to be a different that's going to be a different answer set for every single person on this planet. So once we once we do that, then we can start saying, okay, well, how can I avail myself of a different perspective? And how can I maybe start looking at something from the other side or from another viewpoint um, so that we can actually kind of cleanse ourselves and say, okay, let's start looking for the truth rather than the fraction of truth that's being used to manipulate us. And it, has, it all comes back to misinformation, disinformation, right? We can use, we can use the truth and, and try to get a, a very volatile outcome with it. We can also oh, twist the truth. This is going to get much worse because look at the capability of deep, deep fakes now. That's, that's a scary, scary topic. It's yes. here. It's no longer five years in the future. It is here. And I am telling you, as bad as it is right now, you throw the ability to use deep fakes in the mix and you are going to see this taken to a whole new level. And I'm going to tell you, by then it's going to be too late to sit back and do that inventory and start looking for what's true and what's not. You're just going to be swept up in the tidal wave along with everyone else. All it by reactions. That's that's the yep. biggest the biggest takeaway here. Um, misinformation, disinformation campaigns, especially anything tied with emotion. It's about making you emotional where you make lower quality decisions and you react. Um, there is benefit to quick reactions sometimes. Just make sure it's not coming from an emotional standpoint. And, you know, anyone who's bought a car understands this. <laughs> How much pressure are you under to sign now? No, they don't want you to go home and think about it for 24 hours and then come back and sign the papers. No, no, this deal is, we, we got the manager down. He's ready to do this. We got the bank on the line. You know, they, they might not say yes tomorrow. And they're not alone. No, and, and I'll even say, like, some of you folks might be thinking about your last car purchase experience. And you're like, eh, that, that, I knew what I was getting. All right, but I I bet at least maybe ninety percent of you, even though you weren't emotional about the deal, um, there was a sunken cost fallacy that that played a part. They kept you waiting. Uh, you were waiting and waiting to the point where you thought maybe, you know, maybe this isn't worth it. And then you thought, but then I would have to go to another dealership and I would have to sit here for another hour and a half waiting to sign these papers. By the time they brought you those papers, you were more than ready to sign them. Take the keys to that car and just be done with your day. They've, they've got this deal. They want you to do something now. They're playing on your emotions. And, you know, it's, it's not even so much as, as much of the offer as it is the fact that, well, that car may not be here tomorrow. I can only hold it for this amount of time. And we don't have a lot of those. They got other people asking for them. And right now you're the person who has dibs on it. And 
you're just stuck and you're now in that emotional place where you're like, man, I really like this car. It's the right color. It's got most of the options I want. It's a, it's a price I think I can live with. Could you do better? Uh, probably. But who wants to go through another three hour process of picking out a different car and waiting for everything to come back and doing it? They got you at a certain point. Absolutely. Ah, it's so sad. Um, it's so sad. We're manipulated everywhere we go. Um, but again, you know, it's one of those things that once you're aware of it, you can start looking for it. And the more you look for it, the more you're going to find it. And you're going to have to then make peace with yourself as to what you're going to do with that recognition. Um, because like I say, I mean, Going and telling everybody else they're wrong is is not going to get you anywhere. That's going to make your tribe very small. Um, that is how you win friends and influence people. <laughs> no, wait. It's not how you win friends and influence people. That's right. That's how you lose friends and get people even further stuck in the mud. Absolutely. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong or they're they're following something that's not true or that their beliefs are wrong. Nobody wants to hear that. So you're going to have to make a decision, a conscious decision, as to what it is you're going to do with this nugget of truth. And the thing is, is if you're willing to look, you will find other people who also are critically thinking about the world around them. And that right there is the problem, is that critical thinkers are not as common as we would like to believe. And it's hard to remain critically thinking all the time. It's exhausting. Oh, and and it's that, I, would, I would add to that, Robert, um, a, a pitfall of being a critical thinker is you don't want to end up becoming a cynical thinker because that is a, a dark path of having your eyes open and seeing a lot of this stuff. You still have to be able to find the humanity in things and, and be secure in yourself. And that's something that I personally struggle with is I become a very cynical thinker sometimes. And I have to challenge that as well, because that's just as dangerous as being one of the sheep, you know, um, because then you fall into the same kind of mental pitfalls as, as the folks who aren't considering things. So you have to have a balance. That's where I, um, my recommendation for this is to look at all the things that make you upset and then say, okay, now out of those, what, what out of that actually directly impacts me that I can do something about? There might be lots of things directly impacting you, but, what out of that can you actually do something about? And it's at that point that you have to start focusing your attention and saying, okay, well, these things here are something I can actually do something about. Well, focus your efforts there um, and stop and wasting just, your, your energy on things that you will never be able to change. Absolutely. And I, I would just, I would say it, it seems, it seems daunting. But if you're truly being honest with yourself, what Robert just said there has a lot of power. There might be an almost endless list of things that you can come up with that you can have no impact on. You you can't really change. 
But if you focus on just the few that you might be able to come with up with at first that you can influence and that you can change, one, it'll do two things. One, maybe three things. The first thing is it will occupy you. Uh, instead of spinning your wheels and just being upset about all the things you can't change, which quickly turns into the world is against you and you're never going to win, you know, you'll have something that you can work towards. Um, the second thing is that it will actually improve your life uh, because you'll be able to work on those things and you'll feel like you have some kind of control over all of this misinformation, disinformation, everything that is trying to manipulate you into buying something, uh, unlocking someone's account, you know, whatever it is that is going to try to elicit an emotional decision-making process, you'll have a little bit more control over. And then the third thing is by, by actively doing things and pursuing things that you can change, by seeing how that impacts your life, you'll actually start seeing a bigger list of things that you can do to evoke change, to combat all of these pressures on you. It'll open your eyes and that list of things that you can actually change will grow. And so you'll, you'll actually see more things and you'll be able to make a bigger individual difference. And then by making an individual difference, not by beating people over the head with a club, because we that's what's going on now. That's that's <laughs> yeah. what's not working. Grabbing um, a bigger club is not the answer. <laughs> right. But by changing yourself slowly, you will start to see change in the in the people around you, I think. Yes. And you know, something that um this is a deep topic on so many different levels and Honestly, this is more than a single po podcast could ever suss out. But uh, our goal here is to just get people thinking about it. Just yes. just start thinking about thinking about the things that are evoking an emotional response from you. Think about the things that you are just blindly accepting as truth. Think of the things that are just set up to keep you focused on something other than your actual life in front of you. And I think we're going to find that it's kind of daunting, which is why I say, take a list of all the things that you can actually make a change with and start focusing there. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but it is something that will be much more beneficial when you can focus on things that you can actually make a difference on. That is when you will start feeling better about this and being able to make a bigger impact on the people around you. Absolutely. Yeah. Because then you're able to recognize that email that's trying to manipulate you and if you are not the security team, you can call the security team and say, hey, look, I've got this email. I've got a bad feeling about it. And, you know, um, take a look at this and see what you think. If we had more people just stopping to do that, I mean, imagine what the news cycle would look like if, if everybody that read the news just said, hmm, let me take a step back and look at this through a different lens. 
do you imagine they would have to change the way they're doing things? Absolutely. But they're not, but they're not going to. We need, we need, we all need to have the courage to challenge fear. Yes. Our own fear. You can't I, really. I, I will say this right now. Um, <laughs> neither Robert nor I are mental health professionals. No, um, we are not giving you life advice, nor should you take life advice from us because we have both made horrible life choices and are not examples to follow in any way, shape or form. Uh, <laughs> we both struggle. Um, and and we and I guess that's where we can talk about this with maybe a little depth, because we both have that demon on our shoulder. We, we both um, deal with emotions and we both have to challenge ourselves. So, you know, this is. Friendly advice, as we might give any friend um, who is is dealing with this kind of stuff. But we're not we're not counselors, we're not psychiatrists, we're not psychologists. We will not prescribe you drugs. However, if this episode has helped you and helped you start challenging some of your beliefs, you can always come back and give it a listen anytime. Unless Viagra wants to sponsor us, in which case we might sell you a drug. I don't know how a boner would help you with this topic, but um, it might. It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> it, if it lasts for too long, it might hurt. It'll last longer than six hours. Uh, yeah, no, no. Um, that is not what – we are not here to sell you shit. So, no. Uh, that, that's kind of the name of the podcast, No Shit InfoSec. We're not here to sell you shit. That's, that's not what we're doing. We're here to talk about the topics, talk about what's going on, and um, not be shills for fill in the blank. And just be people. Yeah. Hey, two people looking at problems and um, throwing out our two cents. Yeah. With with that in mind, do you have your pick of the week? Um, I do have a pick of the week. Um, are you a Game of Thrones fan? I I did watch Game of Thrones. I, after after the last season, I do not know if I would describe myself as a fan, but uh, but go ahead. Did you watch the the first episode of the new prequel? I didn't. Liking it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I will say why, and then you tell me why you like it, because, because I think it's important, and there are going to be people who want to go on that journey with you. The reason why I refuse to watch the spinoff, uh, the, the prequel, is because I personally, a lot of people did like the, the way that, you know, everything wrapped up with Game of Thrones. I was one of the people who did not like it. And as, you know, as we mentioned before, I'm a writer. I have, you know, I've, I've written books. Story is a big thing for me. I felt like there were certain story elements that didn't get respect. That's just my personal opinion. I I have no sway over these things. Um, okay. I'm gonna say that the head of HBO Studios said that he was very pleased that people were so upset with the the ending of the season of season nine. Now they might have changed their mind on that one, um, but upset people talk about it and upset people, you know, will consume more. I promptly canceled my HBO um, subscription at that point. So just as a, as a matter of my personal taste and, and, and staying away from that, I've decided not to watch it. But with that in mind, not everybody was upset with Game of Thrones. So please tell me what you like about it. Let me ask you another question. Did you ever watch Lost? 
for like two and a half seasons, and then I called the ending. Well, here's the thing. There are very few shows that have a really great storyline that actually reach a good conclusion when they're turned into a series. And yeah. that's because there's there's too much involved in that storytelling to make it come to a good conclusion. And at some point in time, somebody says, we've got to wrap things up now, put a pretty bow on it. They call in the writers from Hallmark. They give everybody a good, happy, feel-good ending, and they all go off on their way in the sunset. Um, do I like that? No. Did I like all of the storyline that led up to that last season? Absolutely. Do I think? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So maybe in the future, I would just I would stop before the last season. I made it my own ending before watching it, and my ending was much better. There you um, go. <laughs> and I, I, but I have that that viewpoint on. There's very few shows I've seen wind down where it's it's not a letdown, and. But I, I do see that this storyline, um, there's a lot of promising things in there. Um, they're teasing out a lot of like the things that were in the periphery of the Game of Thrones that maybe didn't get the attention that they could have. Um, I, they've opened the door for a lot of good storytelling, and they've got a really good cast of characters and some really young ones that I believe will be able to follow through. Um, and again, you know, as, as actors reach a point, they, they want to move on to something else. Um, life gets in the way and then shows take a turn that the writer didn't necessarily want. But um, that's going to be pretty much with any show that you invest time in. But for now, I... Uh, I give it a good thumbs up. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you are enjoying it. I I may join the journey once it's complete. <laughs> don't, don't wait for the journey to be complete. You've got to you've got to go on the ride. And <laughs> here's here's the thing. Um, for me, my world crashed with the movie The Running Man. Did you read the I, book first? I did. <laughs> I was a huge fan of the short story. I loved it. I was so pumped and waiting for the movie. And I went to go see it. And I was just like, my world had just ended. It was just. Uh, that was uh, Michael, or sorry, Michael. Uh, it was um, Stephen King writing under yep. his pen name, Richard Bachman, I believe. Now, yeah, see, I was the opposite. I saw Arnold in The Running Man first. And then later discovered it was a book and decided to read it. And that is probably, honestly, I, I don't know if it's because I like the cyberpunk um, genre. And it, it really closely fits into there. Um, but that's my probably my favorite um, Stephen King novel. If not Eye of the Dragon, I think it's called, which is his least favorite novel that he's ever written, which is actually yeah. fantasy and super good. Yes. Yes, but um, but no, I read the mistake of reading the book first, and um, no, that was that was horrible. Um, I try now not to um, watch movies that I've read the book, or at least wait and read the book after the movie, um, as I did with Re Ready Player One. 
Mm. I watched the movie first and then went and read the book. And I was so glad that I did that. <laughs> you got to have two enjoyable experiences, right? Absolutely. Because I was able to enjoy Ready Player One as a movie. And then I was able to go read the book and enjoy it even more. I, I, I thought that I think that's a much better way of, of experiencing things um, rather than the other way. Okay, so let's give let's actually name your pick of the week um, besides Game of Thrones prequel. What is it called again? Oh shit! I'm gonna have to put it in the show notes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't. I don't something know. Something daughter of dragons. Um, something or other. Something. There you go. I was It'll so be- blown away with it. I don't remember the name. Um, well, that's Google. okay, because I, my pick of the week is actually, I've got two of them, and they you will be in the show notes as well. I've got links um, in our in our podcast chat that Robert yeah. will put in there for us. Um, the first one is, uh, you can either follow the link or just go into YouTube and type in optimizing user experience and advertising research with eye tracking. Now, this is an interesting video from 2017. And in this video, it doesn't show it at first, but this is a a wearable device that they would do for market research uh, to track where people's eye movements are on the the page so that they can you can optimize your Web page and user experience and customer flow for um, the optimal customer journey. Which, you know, as we know, is buying stuff or clicking things or reading things. This is this is important. Uh, it's really great. But as you get further in the video, you'll see that this is a device. And um, this is back in 2017, and it seems a little cumbersome. I want you to, to think about that. And I want you to look at the device that you normally do most of your reading and, and interaction with. For the majority of folks, that's going to be a mobile device. And what is in the front staring you in the face? It's a camera. The camera. So it can already tell where your eyes are going. So I I think it's a really, really like, look at the sales pitch. Look at this video is designed to sell this product to companies. Um, The second one is the second pick of the week is I want you to go to hotjar.com. Again, um, there is going to be, sorry, my alarm is going off in the background. There's going to be a a link in the show notes for hotjar.com. And this is website uh, heat maps and behavior analytics tools. I want you to take a look at that website. Uh, there is a demo video that you can click on and play there. And and this is just so that you can understand how influential and how how many tools and what kind of tools big companies have that they can sell to to anybody. And I I used Hotjar for a little bit on a blog that I was running just to see where people. Um, we're looking at the page. I, I really think that you need to take a look at it. It's it's crazy from a technological standpoint. It will blow your mind. But then it will also make you like this is going to make you look at your interaction with Web pages in a totally different way, um, because there you could have gone through this entire episode yelling at both Robert and I, and we've made contrary points at different, different points in the, in the episode. Um, but this will make you look at it 
and see and formulate formulate your own opinion of how how your data and activity on the web is actually seen by people who are on the other side of the equation. So please take a moment, maybe go watch some Game of Thrones spinoff and check out, you know, optimizing user experience and advertising research with eye tracking as a a foundation. And then go take a look at hotjar.com. And if you're running a blog or a website, you know, maybe one of these tools will be useful to you. So you can uh, probably will how people are interfacing with your, your content. Absolutely. All right, man. You got anything else? Nope, that's it. All right. Well, until next time, bye-bye. <laughs> you have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.